The Gospel of Mark, chapter 1, beginning at verse 1. The beginning of the Gospel about Jesus Christ, the Son of God. It is written in Isaiah the prophet, I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way. A voice of one calling in the desert, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. And so John came, baptizing in the desert region and preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. The whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem went out to him. Confessing their sins, they were baptized by him in the Jordan River. John wore clothing made of camel's hair with a leather belt around his waist, and he ate locusts and wild honey. And this was his message. After me will come one more powerful than I, the thongs of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. At that time, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. As Jesus was coming up out of the water, he saw heaven being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove, and a voice came from heaven. You are my son, whom I love. With you I am well pleased. At once the Spirit sent him out into the desert, and he was in the desert forty days, being tempted by Satan. He was with the wild animals, and the angels attended him. After John was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee, proclaiming the good news of God. The time has come. He said, the kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe the good news. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Sisters and brothers in our Lord Jesus Christ, 100 years ago, in October of 1919, Miss Joanna Veenstra, a Christian reformed young woman from Patterson, New Jersey, felt a call from God. Caught up in the excitement of the international Protestant mission movement of the early 20th century, she was challenged and moved by the efforts of missionaries to bring the gospel to unreached people groups. And she decided to become a missionary to what is now the country of Nigeria, becoming the first Christian Reformed person to set out as an international missionary. Johanna Veenstra's work was, by any measure, wildly successful. She preached the gospel and people responded in multitudes. Her clear preaching paired with the medical services that she provided drew people to her and to the gospel that she proclaimed. Many of the Kuteb people in eastern Nigeria became Christians and were baptized. And after her death in 1933, the Christian Reformed Church in Nigeria honored her by naming its denominational seminary Veenstra Seminary. And to this day, the Christian Reformed Church in Nigeria is bigger than the Christian Reformed Church in North America. 
Wow. Some of you may have seen articles and pamphlets and blogs over the last few months celebrating the legacy of Johanna Veenstra on the 100th anniversary of the beginning of her missionary work. The 100th anniversary of her departure for West Africa marks the beginning. Her, her departure for West Africa marks the beginning of international missionary efforts from the Christian Reformed Church to the world. And that is certainly something to celebrate. Here we have a strong and motivated woman devoted to God who fearlessly followed God's call to preach the gospel to the ends of the earth. But there's a part of the story that's missing in the articles and blog posts and pamphlets that are coming out about Joanna Veenstra. Because the truth of the matter is that even though Johanna Veenstra was a member of the Christian Reformed Church, her denomination did not support her when she left for Nigeria. Veenstra's classes, the regional body of churches that her church was a part of, sent an overture to Synod before she left, urging the Synod of the Christian Reformed Church to support her work in Nigeria. And so Synod, in good CRC fashion, appointed a study committee <laughs> to explore possible mission fields and make recommendations about where the church could make best use of its limited resources. And so when Johanna Veenstra left, she left without the official support of her denomination. And when Synod did reconvene the next year, in, 20, in 1920, not 2020, 1920, the committee, the study committee that Synod had appointed made the recommendation that the denomination not support Johanna Veenstra's work in Nigeria, but instead to sponsor an ordained male minister and his family to begin CRC mission work in China because China was a place of more strategic importance and because, because, and this is in the official acts of Synod 1920, the people of Sudan belong to the type of people from whom little can be expected for the kingdom of God. How does this happen? How does the church, the people of God, citizens of the kingdom, children of the heavenly father, make such a dramatic error of judgment that we end up going on the record denying the universal invitation of the gospel in favor of an ideology of white supremacy? How can the body of Christ, God's representatives and witnesses on this earth, be so captivated by the powers of this world that we go against the fundamental truth of Scripture that the gospel is for all? And instead, strategically, attempt to preserve our culture and way of life. 
How does this happen? The Bible has a word for how this happens. The Bible calls it slavery. We are all, every one of us, born enslaved to the powers and principalities of this fallen world. These spiritual forces of evil shape us from birth. They shape our imaginations, they shape our minds, they shape our values, they shape our habits, they shape our very lives. They bind us in chains and hold us captive. They blind us to the truth of God's word. They hold us captive in lives of sin. And into this reality of slavery to evil, John the Baptist comes preaching a kingdom of change. Because that's what repentance means at its root. It means change. John the Baptist preaches a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins, a kingdom of change. Repent and believe, he says, for the kingdom of God is coming. And that's what Jesus brings in his very person. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. Jesus' contemporaries, the people who he lived with and did ministry with, were hoping for something very tangible in the Messiah. They were hoping for a revolution, for an uprising against the powers of this world that held God's people in bondage. An end to the political, social, economic, religious oppression that they had known all their lives living under the Roman Empire. Even Jesus' disciples, the people who knew him best and were familiar with his teaching, were hoping that Jesus would literally lead an uprising against Rome and bring political and religious freedom for the people of Israel in a new Jewish kingdom led by the heir to the throne of David. But Jesus always goes to the root. His battle is not against flesh and blood, but against the powers and principalities of darkness in this fallen world. All the prophets throughout Scripture remind God's people that oppression and exile are because of sin. And God's response in Christ, the answer to the global problem of sin, is to provide liberation through the forgiveness of sins. John the Baptist proclaims that forgiveness of sins is coming. Jesus Christ proclaims that forgiveness of sins is here. A kingdom of forgiveness. A kingdom of change. And what a change it is. Our basic human nature tells us that when someone does us wrong, we do them worse so that they can't do us wrong again. You hurt me, I hurt you so badly that you can't ever hurt anyone again. The cycle of violence and hatred deepens and festers like an infection, spreading and corrupting everything on earth, every human heart, the planet we live on, the devastation of war, the pollution of corporate greed, the hatred of ethnic and religious conflict. And God comes in and changes the whole game 
a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. Do not dwell on what others have done wrong. Think on what you have done. Think of the great debt that you owe to God for dishonoring his image every time you dishonor another human person, for disrespecting his creation every time you treat it as disposable or replaceable, for breaking his eternal law every time we fall into sin. Don't think of the wrongs of others. Think of the forgiveness that you need, a forgiveness that is ours in Christ, a forgiveness that our God offers freely and openly If only we accept it. People of God, Scripture assures us that God wants to forgive our sins. For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son, that whoever believes in Him shall not perish, but have eternal life. And the psalmist proclaims in Psalm 103, As high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is His love for those who fear Him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. Reflecting on this petition from the Lord's Prayer, forgive us our debts, the theologian and pastor John Calvin writes, the witness of Scripture is clear. It pleases God to forgive our sins. It pleases God to forgive our sins. You might remember that we started this series back in September on the Lord's Prayer with a meditation on why Christians pray. We don't pray to change God. We pray to change ourselves. Some people stumble over this petition. Forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. As though we need to forgive in order to be forgiven, as though we need to earn God's grace through our behavior. But the condition in this verse isn't contractual. It's not a contract that we make with God that will forgive people and you forgive us. It is effective. We forgive others Because we are citizens of the kingdom of forgiveness. We forgive others because we have been forgiven. When we know the grace and the goodness and the freedom of forgiveness, we cannot help but think of our neighbors. Think of their bondage to darkness. Think of their deep need for forgiveness. Think of the freedom and joy that they need to experience in Christ. And so we offer that same forgiveness to them that we have received. A forgiving spirit is evidence of faith. Those who have received forgiveness from God cannot help but share that forgiveness with others. And this is the character of God's kingdom of forgiveness that we see in Christ's parables over and over again. That it is more infectious than the disease of sin. That it has a greater seeping power than the powers of this world. It's contagious. 
It's like a small seed that grows into a giant weed that disrupts the tyrannical orderliness of the powers of this world. It's a crumb of yeast that infects the carefully mixed dough of the principalities of darkness and expands through the whole batch. It's like a seed that's scattered on the ground and grows day by day even though the farmer doesn't know how. People of God, this is the kingdom that we are invited to be a part of, to lose ourselves in through faith. A kingdom of repentance, a kingdom of forgiveness, a kingdom of freedom from the bondage to the ideologies of darkness in this world. We are invited to cast off the fear and dread that characterize life in this fallen world and embrace a future of hope and joy in the knowledge that we worship a God who does not count our sins against us, but forgives our sins and even transforms the wrong that we do into good, uses it for good. This faith This trust and loyalty to a trustworthy and loyal God shapes the way that we see the world and live our lives. It certainly shaped the way Johanna Veenstra lived her life. Because despite the resistance that she got from the denomination, despite her church's bondage to racist ideologies, Despite the fact that she could never be ordained for her work, Johanna Veenstra followed God's call to preach the gospel to the people of Nigeria. And through her work, God not only set the people of Nigeria free to worship God in spirit and in truth, but God also set the people of the Christian Reformed Church in North America free from their bondage to these hateful ideologies. Four years after Johanna Veenstra died, the Synod of the Christian Reformed Church received another overture, urging the denomination to support the mission field in Nigeria. And by then, four members of the Christian Reformed Church, all women, were ministering in Nigeria largely supported by donations from individual CRC churches, but still without denominational recognition or support. And the Christian Reformed Church that year honored Joanna Veenstra's legacy. Not only the success of her mission in Nigeria, but her success in changing the hearts and minds of the people of the Christian Reformed Church in North America. And so that year, the church, the Christian Reformed Church officially began the process of adopting the mission to Nigeria as a denominational enterprise. Here's the truth of the matter. God has forgiven our sins. Even though we must strive every day to live lives of holiness, rejecting the powerful ideologies of darkness and embracing the light of the gospel of peace, God has already forgiven our sins. He has erased our debts 
He has set us free to show that same love and grace to a world longing to be set free. Thanks be to God for this indescribable gift. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and all God's people said, O Lord our God, our merciful God, we marvel at your forgiveness, this gift of grace that you offer to us so freely before we deserve it. We pray that you would not hold against us poor sinners that we are, any of the wrong that we do, though we fall into sin day after day. We pray that you would forgive us just as we are committed as evidence of your grace in us to forgive our neighbors. Transform us, we pray, by the presence of your Holy Spirit that we may be witnesses to your kingdom of forgiveness, living holy lives in faith and in truth. We pray all these things in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen.